Well, again, good morning and welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. My name is Trace. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're here this morning worshiping with us. Um, so we continue in our worship with, with going into the Word and seeing what God has for us this morning. We've been going through James for a couple of weeks now, and you can see uh, we've titled the, the series, A Letter from James, Grow Up. There's not an exclamation point there, but there should be. Um, if you look at James in his writing, he's, he's really trying to communicate to uh, a group of young believers that there are certain things that you should be doing at this point in your life. And there are certain ways in which we should respond to situations um, that would show a sign of maturity and growth, kind of a projection in that right direction. And so um, that's, that's kind of what we've been working through as we've been in James so far, and we're actually only coming to the end of the first chapter. So I'm just going to start out by reading, and you can read along with me. It'll be on the screens. Um, and just to point out the fact that, yes, we do know that the screens flash from sometime, some time to time. Um, there is an issue that we're still trying to resolve with uh, technological advances that we have the privilege of using. So at some point they might flash and go away, um, but we're working on it, so we know. Just, it's okay. We'll be all right. Might even force you to have to open your Bible at some point in the middle of a sermon, so just be, be prepared for that as well. But we're in James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19, and I'll read to the end of the chapter, and this is what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, this is the text we're going to be looking at this morning. If you have questions... Along the way, you can text that number, um, and we'll come up here at the end of the service, and we will um, make an attempt to, to answer any questions that you might have. So please feel free to interact with us in that way. I'm going to pray, just ask for the Lord's help as we dig in this morning. So Father, we thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship, um, as the team said, in spirit and in truth. We are grounded in that truth. Lord, at least we, we desire to be rooted and grounded in the truth that's contained within your word. We know that there is a life in your word. We know that this is what you have for us. This is what you have made available for us to see your faithfulness, to see your goodness, to see your plan for humanity. God, go before us now this morning and prepare the way for us to receive the truth Set us free in the way in which we would worship you and make you known in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I'm not drinking out of this cup because it's not mine. 
But if it happens to be yours, then you can come talk to me afterwards and I'll sell it back to you for a nominal fee. So, growing up, part of growing up spiritually, which is the recurring theme throughout James, is being a doer. Being a doer. There's an element of work. No nonsense, sort of hands to the plow, getting dirty, getting sweaty, like doing the work. That's part of growing maturely. Not just any work, though. right? It's not just we can do something and feel good about ourselves as we mature. There's something specific that we read. It's being a doer of what? Of the Word. Of God's Word. Taking what we read in the Scriptures, applying it to our lives in a way that brings growth and change and development. Of course, it's done with the help of the Holy Spirit who gives us the assistance we need along the way because left to our own desires and our own abilities, we will fall short. The Holy Spirit is there to help us. But the point is, it all requires action. And it all brings glory to God. As we do the word, God is glorified. And that's what we see James. He sort of camps on this idea for a couple of verses. And so he opens this section, though, with a brief encouragement about speech and anger. And then he launches into the doing. So we're going to look at 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20, just, just for a moment. Um, he talks about speech. Now, is speech an important part of our Christian life? Do any other writers in the New Testament talk about speech, the way in which we talk? Absolutely. Uh, it's throughout the New Testament. James is no exception. He hits on it here, and then no less than five more times in this short letter, he talks about speech and the impact that it can have, and also what it reveals about us and our level of maturity. So speech hugely important. So what does he have to say here? He talks about three things. And I always get confused. I don't know how you guys look at Scripture or how you guys kind of intake Scripture, but I always kind of flip words around and figure out what's going on. But there's those three words about being quick and slow and fast. I'm like, what, what are they and what do they represent? So for me, in my mind, I think quick, slow, slow. You know, I'm I'm a simple person, so I think simply. Quick, slow, slow. Everybody can remember that, right? In that order. Quick, slow, slow. You got that? Okay. So what do those line up with then? Because that's important too. We got to know what we got to be quick to. So there's three things on the back end of that scripture, which is listening or hearing, speaking, and being angry. So then I think, okay, at least I can remember those three things. Which of those three things am I least inclined to do first? Listening. Okay, that's me. So move that to the top of the list. Quick to listen. If we get that right, then the rest you can kind of fumble into. But be quick to hear. Quick to listen. That's an important thing that he's talking about. And then slow to speak and slow to anger. That's just kind of the mental gymnastics that I have to do in my mind to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to be as a doer, as an effective doer of the word. Sometimes you got to know what it is that you're supposed to be doing, and the order in which it comes. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's what's happening. He's, in a nutshell, helping us to make a connection that oftentimes an inappropriate verbal answer is rooted in anger. 
and then we respond out of that anger. Anybody relate? Not at all, okay? It's okay. We'll talk afterwards, Lord. <clears throat> Just kidding. No, we all can relate to that. Absolutely. Like that's, that's <laughs> the process that we see happening. That's why he addresses the issue. But what he's saying is that we have to grow in this area so that we can be less likely, less likely. It's not that we, every single time, we knock it out of the park. Praise God if we can do it that way, but we're less likely to respond this way if we are quick to listen. And just for, so we're all on the same page, listening is not waiting for your turn to respond, okay? You're just turning up here, trying to figure out how am I going to get, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's not listening. That's waiting to respond. We're not talking about that. We're talking about listening in a sense that you are legitimately trying to understand where that person is coming from. What is the context that they're in? Where are they at spiritually, emotionally? You're using that opportunity to be quick to listen and not respond right away in order to do something. And that is to consider where that person is coming from and how I should effectively respond as a doer of the word. And then base your speech, your response on that. That's the whole point of being quick to listen. Why? Well, he tells us because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. That's not the kind of fruit that we want to produce in our lives, right? Does anybody want to produce the fruit of anger? That's not on the list that I've seen in Galatians 5. Fruit of the Spirit. Anger is not in that, okay? It's not there. So we don't want to produce that kind of fruit. So what do we do? We're quick, slow, slow. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And then even slower to anger. That's that's what James is talking about with regard to our speech and maturing in the process. That's the goal. And so he's just kind of sets the tone for that in those two verses. But then he pivots in the next verse. And it's really, it's, it's hard if you're just kind of reading it as it sits in, in the Word and not really knowing kind of the way that verbs and, and, and conjunctions work within the Greek. I don't need to tell you any of the, the details, but all to tell you is that verse 18, which is the end of last week, the thought there is continued in verse 21. So 19 and 20 are kind of like a a little interjection. Oh, by the way, let me tell you about quick, slow, slow. All right, now let's get back to what I was talking about in verse 18, which is the word. So therefore, in verse 21, everybody look down at verse 21. You see it in your Bible. See it on the screen if it's there. Therefore connects us back to verse 18. Does that make sense? He's picking up on the significance of the word. The word is very powerful, yes? It is. It's very powerful. It's transformative. And that's what he's talking about in verse 18. And then he, he solidifies that in verse 21 by saying, what can the word do? What does he say in verse 21 that it can do? It saves your souls. Is that powerful and transformative? Yes, it doesn't get any more powerful than that. It's, he's making a very clear case that The truth contained within the word has the power to save souls. And so James tells his readers to grow up. 
by putting off filthiness, putting off the rampant wickedness that's associated with your old ways, like put that stuff off so that you can receive with humility, what? The implanted word of God. You see how he's continuing the thought flow of the word is powerful and transformative. Now put all this stuff off so that you can in humility receive the word. So if you put all that together, the new birth that is contained within the word. In verse 18, must be received or accepted in verse 21 by something. There's something that comes as a result of being transformed and renewed by the word, letting it be implanted. Then we do something with that. That's what's found in verse 22, which is doing the word. <laughs> like as a response to being transformed and being brought to new life because the truth of the gospel is contained within the word, because of that, you put off your old ways, you allow that word to sit in your heart, to be implanted into that, and then there's a response. Verse 22, do it. You see his thought flow and how it's working like that? It's, it's multifaceted is what he's telling us. It's a lot of different ways in which the word can be doing what it does. It's not done with a person once God uses it to bring new life. He does that, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word, right? There's, there's life. That's what he's getting at. But once that happens, then it becomes something else. Douglas Moo, a theologian, says it becomes a commanding and guiding presence within us. The word implanted becomes a commanding and guiding presence. And so we take that transformative word and then we put it into practice. And if I was going to call the sermon anything today, I would call it from principle to practice. Like there's tons of principles throughout the entire scripture, right? Lots of things that we should be doing, which is fantastic. But if we don't put it into practice, what good is it? So that's kind of where we're going with the message. James lands here in verse 22. If you are a highlighter of Bibles or you're a note taker, verse 22 is where we're going to draw most of, of what we're looking at today. I'll remind us what it says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So how many of you heard that verse before today? Show of hands, real high, real high. Okay, just make sure. That's, that's a good amount. Probably two-thirds have heard that verse before today. Is it a new concept, though, with James in the Scriptures? And I would say, no. There is a teacher earlier in the New Testament that said something similar. And his name is Jesus. And this is what he said in Matthew 7. Go back real quick to the previous slide. Yeah, I don't want to give anything away. Hold on. i got to set this up better. You remember Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount? You ever heard of that? The Sermon on the Mount? Kind of a big deal, right? Takes up a couple of chapters in Matthew and other places. So he's walking through all of these things that we should be doing for verse after verse, after verse, chapter, after chapter, after chapter. And the very last thing 
that he says to culminate his Sermon on the Mount to say, all right, I'm done with everything. Now let me leave you with this. This is what he says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What is Jesus telling us? I'm giving you all of this stuff. If you do it, things will be as I designed it. You will withstand the storms of life. You will be able to stand on that word and persevere. So again, this is not new to James. He's just building on what Jesus has already taught us. And so there's clearly two options when it comes to the word. We can hear it and do nothing. That's option one. Or we can hear it and do something with it. There's no third option, and only one of them brings maturity. So when you're thinking about this, and you're tonight kind of reflecting on on what this word says, and you're like, well, maybe I'm kind of in between. No, there's not. You hear it, and you do something, or you hear it, and you don't. So don't try to build a third category and make yourself feel better, because there's not. I'll just let that set for a minute. Then he gives us this example in verses 23 and 24. Let's just be reminded of that real quick, verses 23 and 24. If anyone hears the word and is not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For if he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he's like. Practical example, right? Because we can really relate to the fact that we look in a mirror. And when you look in a mirror, chances are you're not just kind of looking to make sure you're still there. Like, am I still there? Is my hair still there? Is my nose still there? You're looking for a reason, right? We know what it is to look and kind of get, okay, yeah. Who goes away and then forgets immediately what they look like? How is that even possible? That's what he's getting at. How is it possible to intently look at the word and then go away and forget what you just read? But actually, if we think about this example, there's three possible ways in which we could take what he's saying. Is the point of the comparison based on how we look, what we look at, or the result of looking? So I'll just kind of boil it down really quickly. Is it important what we look at? Of course. We have to be looking at the Word. That's, that's foundational. Is it important how we look at it? Of course. But the point he's saying here is the result of the looking. Because there are countless Christians who go over the word every single day, read it intently, looking to see what the truth is, even taking notes and then walk away and leave everything they discovered in the notebook on the desk. Yes, maybe you've been in that place yourself. So while it is important how we look and what we look at, what James is really saying is, what is the result of your looking. That's the whole point of his imagery with this example. 
And so as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, all right, Lord, how, how do we look at trying to apply this to our lives? And I thought back to some of the questions that have come in over the years with the Q&A. And there's been a lot of versions, iterations of this version of the question. How do we avoid falling into temptation? Or how do we break out of sinful habits? Like those kind of questions are, are, are rooted in a lot of people's desire to know more about how we could be effective believers. And I think James give us, gives us some of the most practical examples. But specifically in verse 22, if we could boil it down to like one thing that you could start with today, verse 22 nails it. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Pretty significant piece of advice that James gives us here. So the question, of course, is how? How in the world do we become a doer and not a hearer? Does anybody want to know the answer to that? All right, everybody else can leave then. I only heard two people say yes. Okay, well, whether you want to or not, I'll give you two. All right, certainly there are many different ways in which we can... Um, put this into action, but I'll, I'll give us two examples of how we can become a more effective doer and not just a hearer. One is surrender, and one is to reckon. And I'll break those down real briefly. <clears throat> surrender everything to the Lord. Now I realize in a military context, which we are, obviously, Oceanside is a military town. There's lots of military in this community. And so the circles you run in, surrendering means giving yourself over to the enemy. Yes? It's not a good thing in your context to surrender and give yourselves willingly over into the hands of the enemy. It has a negative connotation in the world in which you live. Yes? Even if you're not in the military. It's got a negative connotation. So flip it on its head and put it in the spiritual context. To surrender ourselves over is to position ourselves so that we don't fall into the hands of the enemy. Right? No? We're not following me? To surrender is so that we do not fall into the hands of the enemy. It means placing your life in the hands of someone who has the means to protect you and to help you walk in victory against the enemy. That's what surrendering means. It means giving up everything that you're holding onto and laying it on the altar before God and say, whatever you tell me to do with this, God, I will do it. That's what surrendering means. Giving everything over to him. So how many of us are truly willing to give everything over to the Lord in this way? Yeah. Let me ask the second part of that question, which is more important. Not just that you're willing, but how many of us are actually doing it? Right? There's a parallel there between hearing and doing. Being willing and actually doing it. You see the pattern that I'm trying to lay out here before us. Do you lack time? 
Is your schedule a mess? You lack time and so that you can't do the things that you want to do. Well, have you actually surrendered your schedule to the Lord and say, Lord, this is a mess. I don't even know what to do. Would you just show me how I can better use my time? I give it over to you. Whatever you come back with, I will do it. If you tell me to get up at 4 a.m. and read for an hour, I'll do it. Right? Do you lack discipline in doing the things that you know you ought to be doing? Well, have you surrendered your own desire? Say, Lord, I desire to do this instead of reading or instead of studying, instead of being in fellowship, instead of loving my family the way that I should. Have you surrendered that to the Lord and say, would you show me where I'm wrong in this? Would you show me how my desires don't line up with yours, that I might be able to, to shift some things around and work to be more effective as a doer. Give me the discipline I need. So when we surrender, we're no longer our own. And for some of us, that's a scary thing, because we like to be in control. But when we do, we're positioned to be the most effective doers of the word because we're reliant upon it and not ourselves. The second way we become doers is by reckoning. Now, it's probably not what you think. Some of you from the South are thinking like, wait, what? Right, I reckon that, you know, the truck is broken or whatever. Sorry if you're from the South. That was not a dig on you. That's just, what I think about is like that word, okay? That's not what we're talking about here, okay? Truck's not broken, it's fine. It's going to be okay. It comes from Romans 6.11, and we'll jump on that in a second. But if you were with us on Friday night at our life group, then you got a little bit of a teaser of this because it was a part of what we talked about. It's funny how God kind of aligns teachings within the body that he's, he's trying to, to show us. So we spent some time on Friday night talking about this a little bit. But I do want to read um, from Romans chapter 6. This is a section of the scripture that really is used to kind of describe Um, The symbolism of baptism, he's talking about how we identify with Christ um, in his death and his burial and his resurrection, and that there's freedom then from sin, that we become slaves to righteousness. He's kind of laying out this really significant idea for us. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses from verses 5 to 11 to help set this up. It said, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him In a resurrection like his, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if you go old school and look at King James or New King James, consider is the word reckon. So you must also reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive with God in Christ Jesus. What does the word reckon mean? I'm trying to give this to you as a principle 
for, for being a doer of the word, so we should probably know that what it means is simply this. To put to one's account. It's actually like a financial term, a banking transaction. It means it's already been put in your account. It's the whole righteousness imputed to us, meaning that it's been counted as a credit to us. Are you familiar with that concept? All of us are familiar with the idea of money, right? So if you go home and you get online and you look and you see that you've got $10,000 more in your account than is supposed to be there, right? You're like, yeah, whoo! This is what it's saying. is like, you go check your account balance, it's there. It's already in your account. We're reckoning something and we're, we're believing as if it were already there. So putting it into practice simply means that you believe that what God says in his word is the truth in your life. It's a fact, and therefore we can respond with confidence and obedience. Does that make sense? Right? We're not acting on a promise. We're acting on a fact that what God's word says is true. And to be a doer, you have to be confident in what you're doing is going to be effective, yes? So reckon the word to be true in your life so that when you do it, it's not like, man, I hope this works. Or I hope it works for me. It's going to work for you, but probably not for me. You don't really know my past. God's word is not inconsistent. We are. But his word is faithful and true, and it will be there exactly as he promised it would be. We respond by doing in confidence and obedience. So by surrendering and reckoning, they work together to bring us to be more effective doers of the word. So that's kind of the, the verse 22 through that section and the example of the looking in the mirror. But then he ends with sort of this threefold argument, which includes some practical examples of application. So being a doer of the word means that we bridle our tongue, right? Because he says in verse 26, if anyone thinks he's a religious and does not bridle his tongue, but disease his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So an effective way of being a doer of the word would be to have control over our tongue. Again, back to the speech thing, right? What we say is important. And to be a doer of the word, we have to control what comes out of our mouth. What else? Having meaningful social concern. All right? His two examples are to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. Now he's not saying that everything that you do as a doer rests in just going to visit orphans and widows. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is a practical example that you should have social concern. You should be worried about what's going on around you. And to be a doer of the word, go and visit them in their affliction. That's an example. Okay? That's a good example. And the third thing he says is that we should steer clear of the way of the world, right? That's how he closes it. And keep oneself unstained from the world. Don't get mixed up in the ways of the world. Don't get caught up in the rat race and all these kinds of things that would steer us off course. That's what he means when he says, be in the world but not of it, right? We're here. We don't have a choice. We're surrounded by all this brokenness and mess and darkness, but that doesn't mean that we have to be a part of it. And the way that we keep ourselves from doing it is by 
doing what's here instead of what's doing around us. So I figured laying that foundational principle, we could kind of grasp that and get our heads around the idea that there's surrender involved and there's work and there's obedience and there's reckoning the truth of the word to be true and real. But one of the biggest obstacles, I think, in being a consistent doer of the word is a lack of understanding. Not fully understanding what James says. Because he tells us what we are doing when we only hear. What does he say again? Let me just remind us again. Be doers of the word, verse 22, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving ourselves. The enemy uses that to lure us into a false sense of security. Right? Man, I've been reading my Bible every single day for the last five years. Like, I am a devoted, consistent, faithful Christian. I am good. We can reason that out, right? Yeah. I, nose is in the book every single day. That's the worst possible place for a Christian to be if it stops there. Because you think you're good. Think you're good to go. I know what the truth says. I know what the gospel is. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? You think you're growing and you're strong because you know what the word of God says. But unless we move from principle to practice, in this context, it's worthless. It's worthless. It's very dangerous. <laughs> It's actually like being in a real-world escape room. How many of you have been in an escape room kind of thing? A lot of you. Many of you, if you haven't, you know what it is, right? You go in, you get locked in, you got to figure out all the clues and the riddles, right? And you solve this problem, you go over here, you solve this problem, then you find the key and you get out, right? Everybody's familiar with that at least. So what if you went through all the steps? You're in this escape room, you solve this riddle, you do this, you go over here, you look on the map, you look underneath, and you find the key, and you're like, woohoo, we did it! We got the key. Yes. Are you safe? Are you out of the room? No, you've got the key in your hand. You're standing in the room with the key. You're celebrating. Woohoo! We did it. No, you didn't. You're still locked in the room. You've got to take the key, go to the door, unlock it, and walk out. It does you no good to have the key in your hand when you're standing locked in the room. And I think a lot of Christians are in their own mini version of an escape room, right? They're reading through the scriptures. They're looking at this truth going, wow, I know exactly what to do. I'm good to go. And they don't re respond to it. They don't put it into action. Trapped in this escape room, not realizing that every single breath they take in that room is, could be their last one. Right? They're in a very dangerous place, thinking that they're okay. When really, you're not. We have to take action and put the word to work. Be doers of the word. Otherwise, we're fooling ourselves into thinking that we're maturing and we're in a very, very dangerous spot. 
Then he tells us in verse 25, and this is not the reason why we want to do this, but as just a, a evidence of God's faithfulness and goodness to us, he tells us in verse 25 that if you do this, you'll be blessed as you're doing it. So not only are you going to be sustained and be able to walk faithfully and consistently by doing, but you'll also be blessed. Like, thank you, Lord. Like, it's good enough of you to help us get through life, but to be blessed as a result, man, that's like over the top. Wonderful and gracious. But we all have to understand what is at stake for us when it comes to the word and being doers of it. I was really convicted this week, really, of, of reading and studying this because I know that there are seasons of my life and seasons of your life where, one, we're not in the Word at all, which is perhaps the most dangerous place, or we're in the Word fairly consistently without any kind of action whatsoever. Reading to check a box, reading to, to, to make an impact on your family, to say, all right, family, let's sit around and read the Word together. Great, you should do that. Absolutely. But if you stop short... It's pointless. It really is, church. I don't know how else to explain it, but we have, a, we have an obligation to be doers of the word. And we have an obligation to each other as family members. That's part of discipleship. is not just teaching people what the word says, but how to live it out. Here, Paul says, like, follow me. Follow my example. Like, those words scare me. <laughs> don't follow me, like, no, but follow my example that I would be a consistent reader and doer of the word. We should all desire to be that for ourselves, for our family, for our peers at work, for our neighbors, for our fellow students, whatever your situation is, be doers of the word. So I'm going to pray. Um, and really I want to focus on two things, going back to the beginning what we talked about, the power of the word that brings life and that compels us to walk in obedience. So would you pray with me? Lord, I do thank you for your word and the truth that is contained within your word that brings new life, transformative power to bring us from a life set apart by sin and darkness and a separation from you, the Word tells us that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross in our place, a death we should have faced, a punishment we should have faced, but instead He lived a perfect life, took our punishment, took the wrath, allowed for the forgiveness of sins, and then imputed, gave us, credited our account with His righteousness so that when you look at us, you see His righteousness, not because of anything we've done, but because of your goodness and faithfulness to us, and we just need to walk in that truth. So if you're here this morning and you've not accepted that truth, now's the time. Because life is on the line. Eternity is on the line. We also see, Lord, your word 
as one that brings direction and constant guidance and wisdom. Once you made that transformation in our lives through the truth of your word, you gave it to us to to help us move in the right direction. God, would you help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We don't want to be deceiving ourselves to think that we're okay, Lord. We need your help and we need the help of those that you've put around us. Lord, we really believe that we're not like family. We are family, and family cares about the spiritual condition of their brothers and sisters, God. Would you help us to look inwardly and look across this body to say, you know what, I love you, and I see something in your life that's not lining up with the way that things should be as a doer of the word. Let me help you be a more effective doer. I'm not great, but I know what God's word says, and I reckon it to be true, and I want you to believe it too. God, you've called us to this, and we need your help. So we ask for it this morning. Give us the strength and the courage to consistently be doers of your word. And we thank you, and we praise you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.